And we're turning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, or 43, I'm sorry, chapter 43. On this last uh, Sunday, last day of the year, uh, we, like, we like to think of things that, are, that uh, God has done in the past, and what is the current situation, and what we're looking forward to the future. And of course, there's, there's a lot of times these are the typical New Year's Eve messengers and so um, but today as we've been going through Isaiah I just can't get over the fact of how that uh, uh, Isaiah is talking to his people and of course he's preaching to people that have ears but do not hear they have eyes but they do not see and he's preaching to people later on we'll see that are willfully ignorant because they're going after the things of the world and we'll see actually in chapter, as we progress through this, that there comes a time, and you'll see this in chapter 44 and 45, uh, there comes a time when God says, not only will they not see, but they will get to the point where they cannot see. In other words, they, there's a time in a person's life, and it's not necessarily at the end of their lives on the deathbed or whatever, but there's a time in their lives where God says, okay, they've turned against me and I will use them even, uh, even though they don't know I'm using them. But as far as ever knowing me, they never will. We see that several times in the Bible. Of course, one of the most uh, prevalent times is that people like to think of is Romans chapter one, where God gave them over to reprobate minds to do what they wanted to do. Okay, Lord. Okay, people, if you don't want to serve me. There's the world. Go at it. And so uh, we see that there are times, and this is what's frightening to me as a pastor. I don't know, and you don't either. And that's why the Lord says there's a sin unto death over in First John chapter 5. He says there is a sin unto death, but we're not to pray for it. We're not to even look at it. I don't say, Lord, kill that person or that. And I can't say that person who's uh, been living in sin all their lives and they've been preached to over and over again, I cannot say to that person, well, God's given up on you because I'm not the judge. God tells me to preach the gospel to every creature and so are you. So, so do you. And so we see that uh, we don't know that point. And the Lord didn't tell Isaiah. He said, I'm going to tell you to preach to people that I've already shut their eyes. And so there's a nation that is turned away from God. And yet, and the, by the same token, we see that uh, there are, and we've seen this several times in the book of Isaiah, where that, there's that remnant. There's those people that are listening. And we know in the last days, Jesus said that uh, iniquity shall abound and that the love of many shall wax cold. And so we see that in today's society. And yet, do we just say, okay, uh, we've reached the point of no return, and so it's us for no more, and let's just uh, have the, develop the siege mentality and just, uh, and just, uh, j just close up the church membership and everything and just hold on to the end? No, because there's a whole world out there that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't know, but we do know that God tells us to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Now, in saying that, we see, know that God knows the end from the beginning. And this is what he keeps saying to these people, this, to the nation of Israel. And he is now talking about, he talks about their sin. And we've seen that several times, though your sin be a scarlet. And he names their sin and he names the, the sins of the nations around them. 
But then he also gives them hope. And we've seen how that uh, the, the Messiah is going to come through Israel in spite of the fact that he was going to destroy the nation as it currently existed. And so we see now in these chapters, 40, uh, 40 through 49, he repeatedly talks about things that are 100, 150, 200 years in advance. And yet he's talking to them as if it's uh, right now. And so we'll begin reading in chapter 43. What does God want for our nation? What is God doing in our lives? But we do know one thing, and that we have been created for his glory. And that's what uh, we see that uh, the Lord is talking to those who are listening. We are created for his glory. So notice in 40, verse 43, or chapter 43, verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he hath formed you, O Israel. Hear, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba uh, in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored. I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. And I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and your daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. Now, Father, we pray that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. May we realize, Lord, that uh, all scripture is given by your inspiration, by breathing it down to us. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds that we, we may receive it. We know that it's profitable that it will instruct us for righteousness. It will give us hope. It will give us joy and power in knowing you. Bless, Lord, our country. Oh, how we pray, Lord, that you can see fit to preserve our freedoms, to bless your people one more time, that you can turn hearts from darkness to light, that you can conquer the force of Satan, forces of Satan who seem like they're coming in like a, like a flood. And yet, Lord, there are people like us around the country that are holding on to your word. We are propagating your word. We're wanting to see souls saved. We realize, Lord, that there's a lot of people out there that hear and will not hear. There are people that, uh, that can see but will not see. They are willfully ignorant. But Lord, there are those out there that you are calling, those people whose hearts are still tender, and those people who are hungry for you. And oh, Father, we pray that you will deal with those who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness today. Open our hearts and our minds that we may behold great things out of your word. Now here, the Lord is talking about things that are going to happen 100, 150 to 200 years in advance. And we've seen that before. 
Now, Israel has just overcome a great calamity we saw in chapter 39, where the Assyrians had been dealt with and they had been defeated all through up to chapter 39. We see that he was talking about Babylon, who was after Assyria. Now he's talking about Babylon and he's talking about Babylon, which is now just coming of age and the great leaders that will lead up to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is not even born yet. And yet God is going to be dealing with not only uh, them going into Babylon in captivity, but he's going to be dealing with them about coming out of captivity. And he's even going to name a Persian king who will defeat Babylon as the person who's going to let them come back. I was just, uh, saw a fellow this past week that was there, that uh, the, they call it the, um, the, the, the cylinder, um, of Cyrus, or Silas Cylinder, and it was King Cyrus of Persia. And the proclamation that we see in, uh, in uh, Isaiah, or uh, especially in Ezra and Nehemiah, about them being able to go back to the Promised Land is on that cylinder. And so it's very interesting how that God, and that's one reason that people say, oh, Isaiah had to be written later on, closer to the time of Christ. No, he's talking about, um, he's going to even name Cyrus uh, later on. As we see, if we get to it this morning, it's a long, chapters 43 and 44, 44 and, 43 and 44 and 45. We're going to see that he names him, and even by name. And that uh, God is going to bring Israel back to the land. And then on top of that, it has overtones about, yes, uh, God in the end is going to bring Israel back to the land. And he started doing that in chapter uh, or in 1948. And so we look at all the things that are going on in Israel today and all the calamities and the sadness and really the hard hearted. I mean, even though we are really pull for Israel, I want to see God bless uh, bless the country, and yet we realize they're just as wicked as we are when it comes to uh, sinners that need to be saved by grace. And there's a, they're still rejecting the Messiah as their Savior. And now, but as we begin looking at chapter 43, we see that God is talking to these people. And now, one thing we must do is realize there are two different institutions. And that is, God is talking to Israel, but the way he talks to his people is so much alike. We'll see so many of these verses that are reflected back by Jesus to whosoever will. And of course, that's the Gentiles. And we're living in the age of the Gentiles until God deals with Israel one more time. And so a lot of the things you say, well, you can't read Isaiah because it's written to the Jews. No, all, pro- all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we can glean a lot of the ways that God deals with his people, whether Jew or Gentile, from the very things that God is writing here. Be careful of those people who say God's done away with Israel, and now the church is the uh, spiritual Israel today, and, uh, and so forth. Be careful with those, because that makes Israel as a nation today expendable, because we're Israel. We are not Israel, folks. I'm a Gentile. I am not a Jew, unfortunately. I wish I was a Christian Jew. That, uh, those people are double blessed. They're God's chosen people and they're chosen by grace. And so uh, a Christian Jew today is a double blessed person. And, but here we see that uh, God is dealing with the people. And so as you'll notice, he calls them, O Jacob, O Israel. 
When God is dealing with Jacob, he's dealing, and of course, we know that he renamed him Israel. But when you, throughout the, the Old Testament, you'll see that when God says Jacob, he's talking about fleshly people or a fleshly person. You'll see that even with Jacob himself after he wrestled with God and God renamed him Israel. It went back and forth. Now, Abraham, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Uh, but then we see that with another man in scripture who had problems with the flesh. And that was a guy named Simon. And what was his name that he was given? Thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And yet, at the very last time that we see the Lord talking to Peter, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he had to bring him back into the fold. And of course, when Peter writes the epistle of Peter, he says, Peter. And so it's interesting how that, uh, that God had to deal with a man just like I, me uh, and just like you. We've got two sides of our old souls, don't we? We got the flesh and we've got the spirit and they war against each other. And this is what we see as a nation, as a body of people, just like we have in the church, a body of people who have spiritual desires and yet fleshly instincts. Is not, not true. So as he's talking to Israel here today, he's talking to them as if they're one collective person, Jacob and Israel. And so as he's talking to them, he deals with them just like he deals with us. And so some of these promises, even though they're to Israel, they could still be a comfort to us. And so we want to look at that this morning. He says, now thus saith the Lord, first of all, notice there's four things here. He created you. Now the word created is a word that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. He made it out of absolutely nothing. He spoke things into existence as Colossians tells us. So we see that when he, he said, let there be light, he created light out of nothing. He created the world out of nothing. He created stars out of nothing. There's no force in the universe that can do that outside of God. Now, notice he says, he formed you. Now, remember, he created, he created the world, but he formed man out of the dust of the earth. So he formed man, he fashioned man after something he had already made, after something he'd already created. And so God formed us out of the dust of the earth because he had already created the heavens and earth. And as Israel Israel, man, Abraham was already created, but he formed a whole nation around the promises that he made to Abraham. And so we see that uh, this is what God is saying here. I created you, I formed you, I fashioned you into the image or to the, the, to the nation, to the body that I wanted you to be. He says um, to them, um, I formed you, and fear not, I have redeemed you. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so as an imperfect, imperfect person, God has created the world. He formed you. And if you're a Christian today, it's because he redeemed you. Not anything you've done, not by works of righteousness, what you've done, but according to his mercy, he saved you. He redeemed you. He bought you. Notice he says, you are mine. Why? Because we are, not, we are bought with a price. We are not our own. But notice also, not only did he create, 
He formed or fashioned us. He redeemed us. But he called us. Uh, and he said, I called you by your name. You are mine. Now, a lot of people like to quote that uh, first part of that verse of, uh, chapter of uh, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. And that's where they leave it. But no, the Bible says to all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So if you are saved, if you love the Lord, and you are striving to walk with him, then anything that works out in your life is an opportunity for God to show his grace through you and or grace to you. And so he's called you for his purposes. He's redeemed you. He wants to use you. And we'll see later on that he, as he says, you shall be my witnesses to the disciples before he goes to heaven. He will use that term repeatedly to redeem Israel in chapters 43, 44, and 45. I've redeemed you. I have made you my witnesses. You are my witnesses. Wait a minute. I mean, Israel was off the deep end. They were going to the point of no return. And yet God says, I'm still going to use you. I'll use those who don't know me in spite of themselves. And I'll use those who do know me because of themselves, because of what they, they believe. And so notice what he promises to those who walk with him. And some of these really reflect on us. Notice what he says in verse two. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, to a Jew, they knew exactly what he meant. There were two great events that happened uh, to, in the Old Testament. The greatest miracle in the Old Testament was a picture of redemption, of how man was delivered from the bondage of sin through the Red Sea, and then of the destruction of God's enemies. Uh, what a beautiful picture, the Red Sea crossing. And then, of course, of their victories and going into the Promised Land when the, the Lord again stopped the waters for them to go into uh, to the Jordan or go across the Jordan into the promised land. So again, we see that uh, they, they knew what he was talking about when you pass through the waters. God can part, part the waters. That was just part of their psyche. They knew about it. The rivers, there again, um, that they may not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, now who walked through the fire and their clothes weren't burned? Later, something's going to happen later on, uh, over 150 years later, uh, with, a guy, with uh, three Hebrew children. So this was literally fulfilled. He says, uh, nor, nor, not, uh, nor shall a flame scorch you. Remember that? The, the Lord literally stated you couldn't even smell the, the, uh, uh, the clothes. You couldn't uh, uh, the, the burn smell on their clothes when they came out. He says, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He says, I gave you Egypt and so forth. We, he says, uh, verse four is where we get, they are precious, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. So many of the things that we, uh, that we have in the back of our minds or songs are come through the filter or, or filtered through Isaiah. Where we saw several terms that are used already. But again, one of the great blessings and one of the great phrases you are precious in his sight. It doesn't matter what your ethnic group is. It doesn't matter uh, what your background is, your social status, your economic status. It doesn't matter anything. You are precious in his sight because he made you. 
He formed you. He remembers that you are dust. He remembers that you need him. And he offers salvation to whoever will. Whosoever will may what? May come. You are precious in his sight. So we see that you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for the idea that, uh, you know, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to be, others are going to die for you even. But uh, notice, so he goes and he talks about, and many shall come from the north and the south. Again, you're going to be regathered. Now, he's just mentioned that they're going to be scattered, but then they're going to be regathered. He's he's prophesied already and kind of given a hint that Babylon is going to be the next conqueror, and they're they're not going to stop. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. And yet you're going to come back. So that is so amazing that uh, he is saying, you know, I'm through with the present Israel. You're going to be cast into into, uh, captivity. But then again, I'm going to tell you that you're going to be coming back. And we see that in the book of Daniel. Where Daniel read or Jeremiah later on from Isaiah says things. And he starts reading Jeremiah and he says, oh my. In exactly 100 or 70 years after they were taken into captivity, as Jeremiah promised, uh, that they, were, they would start coming back. And that was when that decree was written by Cyrus. So it's amazing how that God says, I'm going to punish you, but I'm also going to bless you. And folks, that's true in our lives, isn't it? As we walk with the Lord, he knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes as a result of our sin or because of some of our foolishness, we fall into problems. But God says, I'm not through with you yet. We'll see tonight with Joshua. He fell on his face because of the failure, abject failure after Jericho. And I mean, he went from great victory to, to a terrible defeat. Just uh, within uh, just a few days. And did the Lord leave him there though? No. That's the reason I titled the message tonight, Get Up! And so folks, if you feel like you're in sin today and you just, the God's not through, that God is through with you, that he'll never use you again, get up! Because if you even have an inkling that uh, you're outside the will of God, that is because God is allowing you to feel that way. And God is giving you the chance for repentance. He's the one who gives you the capacity to want that repentance. If God does not want to, if you don't have the desire for repentance in your life, I let well, there again, nothing is going to make you afraid. You're going to laugh at everything I say because God's given up on you. And if you can go out and live the way you want to and scoff at everything that God says to you, either you're still fighting God or you're there again, you're not even listening. Does that make sense? I mean, I, to me, that is one of the most frustrating things and yet one of the most phenomenal things in my life. It was when I was a young pastor and Oh, I thought everybody, you know, everybody, but well, they're going to wait till they deathbed. And boy, I, whenever somebody's not ready to die, I'm going to go in and I'm going to win them to the Lord. And I went in and I've talked to a man who had, his wife had been coming to church there for quite a while. And, uh, and he was, and I would go in and talk to him uh, the last week of his life. Oh, I'm all right, preacher. I'm all right, preacher. And he was breathing his last. And I was saying to him, and I won't name his name, I almost did. But I said, uh, you know, you, don't you want to know that I'm all right preaching? 
And he passed into eternity, and I sat, sat there, and it shook everything I ever believed about the Bible. I mean, wait a minute. You know, this man knows he's going into eternity, but he could not accept the Lord as a Savior. God had, had God given up on him? I don't still to this day. I will never forget that. But a man who would not or could, got to the point where he could not, and we'll see that in chapter 44. And I'm just kind of, I'm teasing you to go ahead and read ahead. So I can't, we can't get to it all. And here we are halfway through and we're not even through the first seven verses. But the idea though, that God is dealing, God loves you, you are precious in his sight, but there comes a time in your life where God says, okay, I'm not going to bother you anymore. But you are created for my, for my glory. And so what does God tell us? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, what? Do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Why? Because you were created for his glory. I was created for his glory. The church was created for his glory. And so uh, we are to do all. And that's the one thing we want to do is whatever brings God glory is what we want because he has a way of reflecting that glory back on you uh, or, or on us. But he says, notice, I've created you for my glory. I have formed him. Uh, yes, I have made him. Talking about Israel. So God has formed us. He has fashioned us and he has made us into the people. He's conformed us or, or molded us into his image. That's what he wants. He says, bring now, now notice the challenge that he gives here. Bring out the blind with, who have eyes. And the deaf who has ears. Notice going back to chapter 6 where he was called. He says, Lord, whom shall I go and what shall I say? And the Lord says, uh, I'm going to send you to people who have ears who will not hear. And this is, he reflects that all through his preaching, all through the book of Isaiah. He said, let all the nations be gathered together and the people assembled with whom you have, you can, de uh, whom among them can declare this and show you, show us former things. Let them bring out their witnesses that they uh, may be justified. Or let them hear it is truth. You are my witnesses. There it is. As a nation, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. As a church, we are God's witness. And one of the ways that I know that God uh, is still dealing with it is no matter what we do as churches, and my, some, I imagine there's so many times that we in churches, as, a, as the very name, hasn't been an embarrassment to God. And every once in a while, we'll see, many times, we'll see on the internet some man who has claimed to be a, a great Christian. And he has got quite a following. And then we find out that they've got all kinds of sins in their lives. Folks, that's happened over and over thousands of times in church history. And yet the church as a body or as an identity still exists. Just like Israel today, even though they've been scattered all over the world, do, they, do the Jews still exist? It's amazing. Uh, again, I was talk, uh, talking about Mexico. And even in Mexico, there's a distinctive group of Jews that everybody knows they're Jews. That is the only ethnic group in the world that has been scattered all over the world and still has a distinct identity. 
when the Chinese come over to America or to Mexico or whatever, they become Chinese Mexicans or Chinese Americans and they all start intermingling. Uh, my son married a South Korean. You know, so what? I mean, you know, and there again, I hope they have a whole bunch of kids or whatever. But uh, no problem. But even with a Jew, even in the fact, even though they intermarry with Gentiles over and over again, they're still a distinct group of people. It's just amazing how that God has done that because he has promised that he will bring the Jew back to himself. Now, I don't understand that totally. And boy, that's a whole um, can of worms that I could open up. And if I say the wrong thing, people can accuse me of racism. But uh, no, I don't. I, you know, it just amazes me what God is doing with the Jew today. And and there again, you see that God, you know, when they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. I mean, that's what the Jew, they condemned themselves. And what do we see today? Why do people hate Jews? Why, why can't we get along? Why, can't, why do you hate a Jew in Chicago? And of course, uh, we're not to hate them. We're to love them. We're to bless them. You know, God will bless us if we bless them. And that's one reason I think that this country has been blessed so much is because God's fulfilled his promise. We have given access to the Jew more than any other country in the world until recently. Now we've got a whole group of people, a political party that is almost turning anti-Jew. We better be very careful with that, folks. But here we see that uh, God says, you are my witnesses. As did Benjamin Disraeli, a Jew who became uh, the prime minister of England back in the 1800s, he said, I could prove to you uh, that the Bible is true uh, just by two words. And someone said, what? And this was before Israel was formed in 1948, reformed. But uh, he said, the Jew. And even back then, it was so obvious that God was still working on, with the Jew. He says, you are my witnesses. And folks, in spite of all the things that are going on today, the church is God's still, institution, still God's institution. We are God's body. We are the people who are to proclaim. We are his witnesses. We are the people that, people are, that uh, the world is looking at to, to find God's grace. And all that God can use us and use churches like us to win and to propagate the, the gospel of Christ. There are a lot of people within the churches, churches today that are destroying the churches. They're bringing in all kinds of filth, just like the... Uh, the Israelites did. The, the temple became so desecrated that God destroyed it. And so many times I wonder what God's going to do with uh, some of these denominations and churches that uh, are desecrating the word of God so badly that what will he have to do to us or to the, to the church as a body to, to cleanse it? And so we see that you are my witnesses. Notice in verse 11, he says, I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. We are hearing a lot today about inclusivism. And that is, who are you to tell me that uh, I can't worship the God of my choice? Why can't, I mean, some people call him Allah. Some people call him Buddha. Some people call him whatever. But we call him Jesus. No. What does the Lord tell us? There's no, none other name no other name given among heaven, given among men, such as should be saved. And what's that name? The Lord Jesus. And so we cannot get together with the ecumenical crowd. 
We cannot get together and just say, you know, let's just all worship your God and my God all together. No, and this is what exactly what uh, Israel was doing. They were bringing in all these false gods. They were even setting up the idols in the temple. And oh, doesn't it look like we all love one another, folks? If you're going to hell, and I tell you, just keep on going the way you're going, then do I really love you? But if I really love you, do I not tell you there's one way and only the way? I am the way. Well, of course, not me, but the Lord Jesus. I, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Was Jesus Christ a liar? Did he know what he was talking about? And time after time, you're going to see, I am the Lord. There is no other. There is none other besides me. He keeps saying this. He emphasizes it all the way through the chapters 40 through 48. I am the Lord. There's none besides me. And again, we see uh, in verse uh, 12, he says, I declared and saved, I proclaimed, and there is no foreign God among you. Uh, 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 There was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses. He says, Indeed, before the, uh, before the day was, I am he. And no one, in verse 13, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? I am the God. I, remember, this is the passage from chapters 40 through 48 about the supremacy of the Savior. And so we see that... Uh, and of course, the next uh, group of, of nine chapters is the sacrifice of the Savior. And then, of course, the last nine uh, chapters of these 27 chapters is the sovereignty of the Savior. But uh, we see that I uh, there's no other God before, besides me. And uh, he says in verse 14, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, there he goes back to that, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send you to Babylon. Wait a minute, Babylon's not even a world power yet. And yet God says, I'm going to send you to Babylon and will bring down all uh, as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. And so they had a navy. navy. He says in verse, again, notice the emphasis in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your king. So he goes back and he just, just keeps on saying, I formed you, I made you, I created you as a nation. I created you out of nothing, basically, is what I was saying here. Abraham was a nobody until I made him somebody. And so he says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your creator, your king. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn crown brow. What? lead me to Calvary because it's the one place. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's fountain. Oh, that God can deal. And so we see again, the offer of salvation to whoever whoever comes. Verse 16, thus saith the Lord, uh, who makes a way in the sea and a path. And again, talking about the miracles of the past, how that God formed the nation. But notice in verse 19, he says, there's going to be change. Not only challenge, but I'm going to change some things. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it will be spring forth. Uh, shall you not know it? I will 
make even the road in the wilderness. And again, he's talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to go before you. And of course, now we're talking about millennial overtones. And the ultimate is that, yes, I'm going to bring you back as a nation, but one day I'm going to bring you back as a nation. As far as the one thing I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was that one day that, uh, the capital of the world is going to be Jerusalem and the millennial reign will take place. He says, and, and a lot of people, they look at this passage and they wonder in verse like verse 20, the beast of the field will honor me and the jackals and the, and the ostriches and they'll uh, give waters in the wilderness and so forth. They, they look at that and they wonder just how much animals know more about God than we do. I mean, how that, of course, they don't have a soul but how that uh, they, uh, what does God communicate to the animals? We know that they give, he gives them uh, instincts. He gives them certain abilities. Of, how can a dog love you so much? You know, those are all things. Love comes from God. And yet, uh, how can all those things be? And yet, how can they be so cruel? Uh, I like what, uh, what uh, Mark Twain said about betting. And that is, uh, what is horse sense? It's what the Lord gives the horses to keep them from betting on people. You know, so again, we see that uh, you know, God just gives animals certain instincts that we almost think they're human. But then again, we are getting to the point in our country where we're making, do you realize there's a, there's a uh, move afoot to give animal rights, the idea of constitutional rights like we have? So what are you going to do? Bring a, a dog to court and let it? I, I, but of course, I don't know there's going to be a smart lawyer who will represent him. But to whatever it is, you know, it's, it's crazy what we're seeing today. They are not human, and yet they have godly gifts that God gets. We won't know till we get to heaven just how marvelous and how intricately made this universe was. And so but <clears throat> we see that God is going to be dealing. And that tells us that... Uh, uh, through all the stuff that's going on, Armageddon and everything else, animals are going to survive into the millennium. So that gets into a lot of other things. But notice in verse um, 22 of chapter 43. He says, but you have not called me, O Jacob. So here's the charge. You have not called me, O Jacob, and you have been, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You got tired of religion. You got tired of, of going to the temple. And it became just such a way of life. It became a real bore. Do we have to do that all the time? He says, you have not brought me uh, to the sheep of your burnt offerings. So you've quit giving. You quit offering to me your first fruits and your lives and your bodies. He says in verse 24, you have brought me no more sweet cane or honey with money. So you didn't, I mean, you don't want to give precious things to the Lord. And so, because, I mean, after all, my life is wrapped up in my own pleasures. I don't need God. But notice the last part of that verse in verse 24. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have worried me with your iniquities. You know, you can get mad at God all you want to. And the Bible tells us that in uh, Psalm 2, that he'll sit in the heavens and kind of laugh at you pitifully. 
But uh, it's not that you get mad at God. And there's a lot of people that I run into today that are mad at God, are mad at the church, are mad because God didn't do something in their lives and they gave up on the faith. Folks, it's not that you get mad at God that makes him afraid. It's something you better be afraid of when God gets mad at you. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And so you've worried me and you've done all these things. You've forsaken me, but it's not, I'm not worried about you being mad at me. You better be worried about me being mad at you. And people scoff at God and they shake their fists at God today. And <clears throat> they are asking for God's judgment. But then again in verse 25, but I, even I, am, am he who blots out your transgressions. I'm the only one who could save you. And I'll do it for my own sake. I'll do it for those. Why? It's not because of anything you've done, because I promised, I promised you I'll do it if you will ask it. Ask and you shall receive. And I will not remember your sins. So whosoever will, no matter how wealth, how, what you've done, how that you've scoffed at God in the past, if you'll come to God, he'll still forgive your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. That's contending. <clears throat> he says, let us contend together. Search, uh, state your case. Go ahead and just let me have it. Tell me what you do. Tell me that you're mad at me. Tell me that. Just go ahead and state your case. He says, your first father sinned. Abraham sinned. And the meteors have transgressed. Uh, even the, the priests have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. Yes, there's a lot of priests out there that have led you astray. A lot of men who call themselves men of God, <clears throat> who have led you away from God. But I will profane their sanctuaries. I will take care of them. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to the reproaches. As a body of people, you're going to go through some persecution. So notice how that he is saying, I am going to punish you, and you're going to go through some deep waters. But because I promised Abraham something, as you as a body, you as a group, you as a, Israel, you are the apple of my eye because I promised way back to Abraham. And then even with the kings later on, we see that the Lord did not stamp out the wicked kings of Judah. And he says, because of my promise to David. And why did he to, what did he promise David? That the Messiah would come. So the king, it got down to one six-month-old child one time, and everybody else was wiped out, but that one six-month-old child became an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ, or become a, a descendant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ became his descendant. And so we see that God promised and whatever God promises, he will do. Now that just gets us going in this section of scripture. But notice in verse 4, 44, and we'll just look at a couple other things and kind of whet your, whet your appetite for as we go on. He says, uh, Ye hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Notice again, he begins, I made you. Uh, you are who you are because by my grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so you are, I formed you from the womb. Who will help you? If God's before us, who could be against us? But if God's against us, who can be for us? But he says, who will help you? Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, that is uh, 
uh, holy one or the set apart ones. It's a kind of a, it's a, a term of endearment that uh, is used. Uh, whom I have chosen, I have, I am your, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Notice the promise. Yeah, he that's thirst, he that hungers and thirsts that the righteous, I will fill. And the floods on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit upon my, your descendants and your blessing upon your offspring. So he goes on and says, I'm not through with you. And I'll still bless Israel because I promised. Then the, notice in verse six, thus saith the Lord, King of Israel and his redeemer. The Lord says, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, where do we find that? Revelation chapter one, verse 18. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the almighty. And so here we see, even in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is presented. And he calls himself that. And, he, and over in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, he says, I, I am, I was, I will be, but I am the Lord Jesus. And so I am the first, the last. Those who say that Jesus Christ is not, uh, is not God, uh, they have problems with Scripture. They have to deny so much Scripture to say that. If those who say that he's not the creator, they have to deny so much Scripture to say that. And so here we see, I am the first and I am the Lord. Uh, besides me, there is no other God. There's no other way to salvation. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one th way th through to heaven. It's through the straight gate, the promise that he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. One syllable words that a first grader should understand. That there's only one way. There's no other way of salvation except through me. But the, <clears throat> just skip over uh, there. We're going to come back to a lot of this. But notice in verse 16 of this chapter. This is, or verse 18, I'm sorry. He says, They do not know nor understand. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. That's what I mean. It gets to a point where as a nation, and some people believe, I hope we're not. I was talking to a pastor that I highly respect and I was saying to him, and I was kind of pessimistic at the time, I said, I think we're, as a nation, <clears throat> I hope we're not to the point of, of no return. We keep hearing that word unsustainable and we think of foundations and people wondering what's gonna happen next. As a nation, have we gone too far? I look at people that I love. Some of them been members of this church back before I ever got here. And yet they are not living for the Lord. And I wonder if some of them are even saved by some of the things they say. Have they reached the point where God says, okay, you shut your eyes, so I'll keep them shut. Hearing you won't hear. You can know all about scripture and you can hear a message like this, and, but it won't affect you. It's like spiritual volume. From what I understand volume used to get where you would want to cry and yet you couldn't. Uh, I had a lady one time was on it and it, uh, some doctor giving it to her 
And she, she said it was driving her crazy because she couldn't have the emotions she wanted to have. I mean, you know, people were dying in her family and she couldn't even cry about it. And so <clears throat> is it to the point where God gives a spiritual volume where a person where you don't even care anymore. There's no feeling. There's nothing. There's deadness of the soul. I, if you're even here this and have any response at all to what I'm saying this morning, you're not there yet. But you don't want to get there. Like so someone says, uh, Pastor, I've been praying for somebody and they just get so irritated. Praise the Lord they get irritated. Because when God's speaking and you're resisting him, you're fighting him. But be careful when they give up the fight or quit the fight. What happened? Pastor, this person, they come forward all the time and they always, they're just asking God to forgive them and you're having to deal with them over and over again. I worry about them when they quit coming. Amen? So yes, do I struggle? Do I have to go back to the Lord over and over and over again? Yes. But oh Lord, don't get me to the point in my life where the Bible says my heart is seared with a hot iron. But Lord, keep me desiring you. Keep me wanting to serve you. Keep me wanting to live for you. And oh Lord, I don't know who out there, but Lord, you tell me to preach to every creature, to every person. So Lord, allow, open their eyes, as Paul says, open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto yourself. That's our prayer this year, isn't it? Lord, open Belvedere's eyes. Open my loved one's eyes. Open my friend's eyes. May they see and understand and hear your word. Oh, Lord, bless your word. May it not come back void, but may it accomplish what you want it to do. And that's the salvation of souls. Do you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior? If you do, there's going to be certain times conviction of sin. There's going to be joy. There's going to be happiness. But there's also the Lord deals with us. And I want to be sensitive to the Lord dealing with me this coming year. Lord, keep me near the cross. There, that precious fountain. As we've been looking at Psalm 119, oh, Lord, just keep me there. Just, just, Lord, keep me closer. A hunger and a thirst after being with God. Give me that. But Lord, <clears throat> that loved one that I have, give them another year. Give them another chance to know you. Give our country another chance to know you. Give the church another chance to come back to you. This is not what we want to see. Oh, that Lord would deal. And let the Lord deal with those who he's calling today. He created you. He formed you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to call you to his purpose. Come to him. All ye that are hungry, all ye that are labor, come to know him as your personal Savior. Thank you, Lord, for what you can do in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. Thank you for giving to me life, salvation, so rich and so free. But, oh, Lord, as you've given it, keep me hungry for it. Keep me hungry and for wanting to serve you. Turn my eyes away from the world and to you. But Lord, how we pray that you would open the eyes of those that we witness to, 
that you would open the eyes of that backslidden sinner or that backslidden Christian who has fallen away from you. Give them a hunger and thirst after you once more. Bless your people, Lord. Bless your nation through them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.